Good morning. It is so good to listen to the joy of Christian fellowship. Happy, laughing, smiling faces. It's good to be together. We're going to start off this morning with Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. If it's convenient for you, would you please stand? And let's sing this hymn with as much enthusiasm as we can. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the Thanking you for saving our lives. Father, we know that we were lost in sin. And you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross so we will have a right to be with you. We love you so much. Father, we know that we are ambassadors for Jesus. Father, this area is exploding. With a lot of housing projects, Father, we pray that you use us to tell people about your son and to share the gospel with them. Father, we think about the people at Surfside, the condo complex, and Father, we pray for those who are mourning loss. We think about the floods over in Europe. We pray for those people, Father. Father, we think about the the people who are lost in sin and think it's all right. We pray that, Father, that we go and share the good news and stand and don't sit down and continue to share the good news because that's where salvation is. Father, we pray for the physically sick members in this church, Father. I thank you, Father. I know I'm feeling better. I had some procedures done. I feel a lot better. Thank you for that. Father, we ask that you restore those members back to their normal state of health. Father, we pray for this body here, this body of believers. We pray that we stay bonded together in love. We pray that we become part of each other, Father. And Father, we pray that we continue to shout victory, victory. That, that, Father, that we wouldn't know unless you sent Jesus for us. 
bless this worship service and thank you for, for us having a worship service. It, it was looking pretty bleak, but joy comes in the morning. Father, we pray this prayer in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Before our communion this morning, number 318, please. Peter 2, 21 through 24. <clears throat> for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. And if there's a phrase in there that I'd like for you to maybe think about this morning as you're partaking of the, of the Lord's Supper, it's for by his wounds you were healed. For by his wounds you were healed. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, sometimes we look at the cross and what Jesus went through physically and bodily. He's almost aghast in just that horrifying image of him hanging on that cross and doing what he did for us. It, Lord, reminds us of how sinful sin really is. And it also reminds us of how holy you really are. But most of all, as we contemplate on it, we think about the great love that you obviously have for us, that there is this deep care that you would actually allow this to happen, to allow us to have a relationship with you and to be able to spend eternity with, with you in heaven. So Lord, we are very grateful this morning for, for what you've done through us, through your Son. And in his name we pray. Amen.
If you'll continue with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're just thankful that our wounds are healed through what Jesus did for us and what he bore for us on the cross. We're th so thankful for the forgiveness of sins. We're thankful that through this act that you make us holy and, and this holiness can be sustained and what you've also put forth through thy spirit and allowing us to seek you in prayer. But Lord, we're just again thankful that Jesus was willing to go to the cross and shed his blood for us. We're just so grateful for him and, and what he did. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for the many gifts you have given us in our given to us in our lives, and may the money we use today be used for the upbuilding of your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. Before Matt's lesson, let's turn and sing, we praise thee, O God. We praise thee, O God. So today we're going to take a little bit of a break um, from the series that we've been doing for a little over a year now. Uh, many of uh, the teens and, and myself have just got back from Teen Week, and I'd like to share with you kind of what we experienced through the week so you know, one, what your kids are being taught. Um, also, so we're kind of experiencing some of this together. Obviously, everybody can't go to Teen Week, um, so I try to give you a little, a little blip of what we do while we're there. So... The theme of Teen Week this year was Crossroads. It came from the scripture from Jeremiah where he talked about how you look in life and you come to a crossroads and you can choose what the world is sending your way, all the philosophies and all the intelligence and all the wisdom of the world, or you can choose that ancient path, right? That good path. And then you fast forward into the New Testament and Jesus says it like this, he says there are two gates in the world that have two paths connected to those gates, right? Wide is the gate that leads to corruption, but narrow is the gate that leads to righteousness and salvation. That's the crossroads. There's a choice, right? He finishes that part of his uh, speech 
with the parable of the man who built his house upon the rock and the man who built his house on the sand. Listen, you don't realize you're building on the sand until the storm comes and your house collapses. So you can either take God at his word and constantly build on the rock, or you can go through life trying to figure things out on your own and one day find out what you've been building on the sand. So basically it all comes down to discipleship and obedience. That's really what we talked about this week. So I'm going to give you the highlights. And since we spent about 40 hours in the Word this week, I figure if I break that down 10%, we'll be out of here by about 3. What if I wasn't joking? Somebody's falling out the window. All right. Romans 5 is where I want to start. Starting verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Speaking of rejoicing, speaking of rejoicing, we actually as a church body here at North Brevard have two very significant people we need to rejoice over today because, and I'm just going to ask you to stand real quick just so everybody knows who I'm talking about. Neither of these girls are going to want to stand because they're both very shy and they're probably both angry at me for making them do this, but we're going to do it. Don't shake your head at me. You're going to do it. Okay. Uh, Viola got baptized this week at camp, and so did Madison. Y'all stand so everybody can see you guys real quick. That's right. We're excited about that. Um, so we had a lot to rejoice over. Now let's get back into the scripture. Sorry. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. See, it's easy to rejoice over a baptism. How easy is it to rejoice while you're in your sufferings, right? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the main challenge that we talked about this week was this idea. And it's not going to, when I first say it, it's not going to be comfortable. Every time I shared it, somebody looked at me crazy. But here's the truth about us. Everybody gets to a place, if you actually read the Bible, right? Cover to cover. Everybody's going to get to a place in Scripture where God's Word calls them out. Everybody's going to get to a place in Scripture where we read and we say, uh, kind of wish it wouldn't have been said like that, or I kind of wish it would have said something a little different, right? Because we are not perfect. Not even our inmost being is perfect. We really, truly do not have any grasp on the idea of perfection. Show me one time in your physical life where you've actually seen perfect. Truly seen perfect. You don't know what that is. No one knows what that is. Right? I've heard people say, perfect is the word of God. Certainly am I not going to sit here and tell you that the word of God is not perfect. But you know what? We all got to read it, don't we? You think your interpretation of the word of God is perfect? Mine's not. I've changed my interpretation on many things many times. So we've never really seen it. And we don't always understand, right? That's why the scripture says, my ways are so far above your ways. Talking about God's ways. God's ways are so far above our ways that when we try to make sense of the word of God, of course there's going to be times where it works perfectly, where it goes together perfectly, where it's real easy, right? When the, when the word of God says, don't lie. We don't usually read that one and go, you know what? I think lying is totally necessary. We should all lie. Everybody should be a really good liar. That's, you know... That one's a little easier, right? Even though we all lie. But what about those scriptures that you get to that 
that place of sin where it sort of becomes who you are. Because if we're being honest with ourselves, we all got something in the Bible we probably could have wrote better. I don't mean that realistically. I mean that from our own point of view. And that's where your struggles come from. When Paul wrote in Romans 6, right, why would those of us who are alive go back to the things that made us dead, right? He's talking about grace and righteousness. He's talking about sin in Romans 6. I know I, know I haven't given you Romans 6. But I feel like I've preached it enough by now. If you've been coming, you know what Romans 6 says, right? Shall we go on sinning? By no means. May it never be, depending on your translation. Well, why do we struggle with sin? Does anybody in here want to sin? But yeah, we all do. It doesn't matter how old we get. It doesn't matter how mature in the gospel we get. It doesn't matter how much we love God. Right? We learn how to fake it better. Some ways we learn how to master certain sin better in our lives. Right? But there's always this little piece. There's always this something. And that's where the struggle comes from. So struggles and, and trials of all kinds will come our way in life. And they come from all different directions. And some you see coming because there's struggles you've dealt with and there's struggles you've experienced your whole life. And some come out of nowhere and rock you right to your core. Some are in your control by your own choices and some are out of your control because you never had a choice. But endurance is the great test of life. Do you know why endurance is the great test of life? Because endurance is what brings real change. It's actually what changes you. You know, sometimes you read in Scripture and you get the lesson here, but it's not here yet. And vice versa, right? Sometimes you read the Scripture and you get the lesson here, but it's not here yet. Sometimes you preach the lesson. And you know what you're saying is right. But the application has not taken 100% root yet in your life. Endurance. Endurance. What is endurance? Anybody ever, anybody ever run long distance? I tell people all the time, I make jokes about this all the time, I have never been a long distance runner, but the average amount of mileage I used to run on the soccer field was 10 miles a game. So I never run without a ball. It's pointless. But anybody who's ever ran with, for distance, anybody who's ever had to actually run for distance knows there are times where you can sprint, right? There are times where if you're running with people, you're running and you're in such control of yourself, you can talk, right? You can have conversation. You can sing the song that's in your ear, earbuds. I don't own those. I had to think about that for a minute. Ear, eye, earpods, AirPods, AirPods, earbuds, okay. You can sing that song because you still have air in your lungs. And then there are times where you are literally gasping for air. And you have to slow down and reset your pace to catch your breath. There are all kinds of things that run with this idea of endurance. But most of us set up for life in sprints. And we find something and we fall in love with it and we hit the gates running and we sprint as hard as we can towards it and before long, we're wore out. And instead of slowing down the pace, instead of continuing to put one foot in front of the other, right? Figuring out how to catch our breath as we move, we just stop. Pull over. 
take a drink. Go talk to your doctor about how good that is for you, physically. When we'd get done with big runs my whole life, you know what they'd tell us to do? Lay down, just lay down. It'll feel better. Is that what they tell you? Of course not, it's terrible for you. You can make your heart explode just full sprint to lay down. It's really bad, really hard on your body. That's what we do spiritually plenty. Endurance is what makes things change. Not because you're going to have a complete and total victory day after day after day, prayer after prayer after prayer. But because you're going to slowly become victorious day after day after day, step after step after step. It's not about how fast you get there. It's about getting there. Romans 6. Romans 6 is one of my favorite passages. Why? Because it clearly shows you the significance of baptism in correlation with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is like one of the main points of Romans 6. But again... It puts sin and righteousness into terms that are honest. And when we're being honest with ourselves, it becomes very difficult to understand why we still wrestle with these things. It doesn't say sin and righteousness. It says death and life. You know, a big problem with the reason why we struggle with sin is because we don't realize that it's leading us to death. We don't acknowledge the fact that it's leading us to death. Because unfortunately, sometimes our sin makes us feel alive. See, here's the truth that I've experienced more than one time in my life. I've sought something that was against God's word, and in a momentary moment, in a moment, right? In that moment... It was everything I was looking for. But you know what the deception of Satan is? Right? With every lie, there's always a little bit of truth, right? A good lie. The deception of Satan is you have that moment where you're satisfied. You have that moment where you got what you wanted out of the situation, even though it was against God's word, you got what you wanted. But then you got to live with that the rest of your life. And that moment actually doesn't become something that satisfies you. It becomes a moment that you hate. That's why we go back to our sin. That's why we go back to things of death when we've left death for life. Matthew 16 Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Look, I have to deny myself. I have to to die to myself, if I'm actually going to get to the point that God wants me to get to, that God is calling all of us in this room to get to, those parts of the Bible that I have a hard time explaining, those parts of the Bible that I wish would go away, those parts of the Bible that I wish were written in a different way, I have to surrender to those parts whether I agree with them or disagree with them. That's how I deny myself. I reject the teachings of the world that are against the scriptures. I reject them. You know what I found? 
This is my big epiphany from a ministry standpoint this week going through this curriculum. And it took me weeks to write this curriculum. I'm not saying that in a bragging way. I'm saying it like, like this. Like I had to come to grips with this too. You know, there's a lot of people in this church that love Central Florida Bible Camp. You know why? Because things happen on that campus that don't happen anywhere else. It's a very special place. If you ever get the chance to go there and spend some time there, I pray that you do. Some of the biggest changes I've ever had in my life have happened on that campus. You know why? Because the Lord shows up every time. Where two or three or more gathered in my name, I will be there with you also, right? So you got to deny yourself. And what I've realized is, is the church has tried to become a little bit too friendly with the world. I'm just going to say it. We've tried to take these philosophies of the world because you know what's happening? It's infecting our families. The philosophies of the world are infecting our families. Well, nobody wants to condemn their own child. Right? The philosophies of the world, it's affecting our friends. Well, nobody wants to condemn their friend. When you're having those personal conversations, you come to that place in the road where, where you don't really meet. We try to figure out a nice way to say it. We try to figure out how to rationalize God's scripture with the philosophy of the world. We try to figure out a nice way to, you know what? Sometimes you just have to reject it. Am I getting too radical yet? Sometimes we can't be friends with, oh wait, isn't that scripture? You're either friends with the world or friends with God. You're either enemies of the world or you're enemies with God. You're either a slave to righteousness or you're a slave to sin. There's no 50-50. There's no spot in the pool where you can dip both legs on each side. Okay, I got to move faster or we're we really going to be here till three. Okay. Following the example of Christ and being obedient to the word of God is the way we carry our cross. And we do it for the joy that is set before us, eternal life in heaven. Okay? Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth. This is Matthew chapter 6. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves Thieves, do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, it all comes down to what do you love more? Do you love God more or do you love yourself more? Are you loving the promises that you have in the next life more? Or are you in love with yourself and what you have right here more? That's what it all comes down to. Whether you want to be honest with yourself about it or not, that's what it comes down to. Am I in love with the moment or am I in love with the idea of eternity? Am I in love with what I already have? And I'm not willing to let go of it. Or am I willing to let go of it because what I have over here is way better. Way better. What God is offering you is more valuable than anything this world can give you. Treasure his promises. Don't treasure the lust and the desires of the flesh. Don't treasure the, the money and the power of this world. Listen, life is fleeting. Eternity is forever. I know it's a concept that is very difficult to discuss. Me and Nikki were trying to discuss that at camp this week. The idea of eternity. It's extremely hard to get your head around. We live in a world where everything lives and everything dies. Nothing lasts forever. This is forever. This is so forever that it says your life is like a vapor to God. Like the flick of a bick. Don't waste your time chasing things that are fleeting and momentary. Instead, be sustained by things that are eternal. You know what's the most amazing thing about following God's word? It goes back to Romans 5. You won't be disappointed. That's how God's word reveals how relevant it is even today, thousands of years later from the first time somebody wrote it on a piece of paper or a scroll or an animal skin. 
Because if you follow God's word, if you take him at his word, you won't be disappointed. You know why a lot of Christians are disappointed these days? Because they've tried to marry God's word with the philosophy of the world, and it doesn't work. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance to the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, I just want to focus on one word. I want to focus on that word joy, right? It says, Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. Tyler, do you know what that joy was? It was you. It was you, Nathan. It was you, Caitlin. It was all of us. Your name, insert, was the joy that was set before him. Look, Jesus didn't go to the cross so people would worship him. Was he already being worshiped? God has been worshipped through all of eternity, right, Mike? Wrote a book about it. Want to read it? Angel's View. Check it out. Right? God has been worshipped for all eternity. He didn't go for worship. Did Jesus go to the cross for power? What power does God lack? Jesus went to the cross for you. You're the joy that was set before him. You reuniting with you, reunion with you, because Satan has drove a wedge in between us and God, and it's called sin, and Jesus, through the cross, destroyed that wedge. You're that joy. Do you know that scriptures say in Revelation and in, I want to say Zephaniah, I'm probably going to be wrong. It's not my greatest gift, remembering where everything's exactly at. Do you know that scriptures actually say that God sings songs with your name in it in heaven? Do you know that scriptures actually say that all of heaven sings songs with your name in it? Now, I want to flip this for a second. I want you to think about this. You ever sing a song that makes you feel really close to God? You think God feels that way when he's singing about you? Joy. Here is joy. Here is joy. All right, we're almost done. Now let's go to the other side. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. In other words, he's saying, I'm not happy that you were sorry. I'm not happy that you went through all this sadness. I'm not happy that you went through all this grief, but I am happy because that grief led you to repentance, right? For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Why? Because the word of God doesn't disappoint because our hope will not be disappointed. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Look, you can grieve over a lot of things. And we don't really like that. You know why? Because we've distorted what grief is, you know? We've associated grief and shame. Grief and shame are two different things. Jesus took our shame on the cross. Christians don't have shame. You can be ashamed of yourself. That's grief. Christians don't have shame. You know what the difference between grief and shame are? Shame keeps you where you're at. God will never forgive me for this. If anybody knew about this about me, they would never love me the same. Shame keeps you where you're at. And I'm going to tell you something else. I don't believe anybody stays where they're at. You're always moving. So if you feel like you're sitting still, you're not sitting still. You're actually sliding back. Right? The second you pull over to take a drink in that race of life, somebody else is catching you. You're sliding back. 
Grief keeps you going forward. Now listen, I don't want to get too personal up here because I don't want to scare anybody new who doesn't know me. But there have definitely been times in my life where my grief has overcome me to the point to where I couldn't sleep. To where my tears soaked my pillow. To where my body burned as if I was angry. Because I was. I was angry at myself. I was angry for the way that I treated God and potentially even others. I was angry that I let my selfishness become more important than the God that I served. I was angry that I had lost my way. And I'm going to tell you something. Some of y'all fight that. And it comes in two ways. One, you don't want to admit it to yourself because you don't want to think of yourself as a bad person. Listen, we're all bad. We're only good because we're connected with God. God is the only thing good in life. The only reason you even know good is because of God. And we fight that. Let me tell you something else. Another reason we don't grieve is because we become, com- we become too comfortable, right? Anybody ever been down that progression of sin where the first time you're on your way to do something you knew you shouldn't have been doing or, or you were thinking something you knew you shouldn't have been thinking like God literally called you out in your spirit, in your soul, in your inner being, and you knew it and you felt guilty before you ever even went to do it? And then the next time you do it, you don't even feel guilty till after. And then the next time you do it, you don't feel guilty till the next week. And then the next time you do it, you don't even feel guilty. And then before long, you're talking to people, having deep conversation about your struggles and yourself. And you know what you say? You say things like, I can't help it, it's just who I am. Are we getting real today or what? You understand we just put teens through this? You know, I was, I was telling my kids in my youth group in, in, today in, in um, class, I go through three sets of clothes a day at camp. Maybe too much info, but I do. It's sweaty, it's messy, and if you don't change regularly, bad things will happen. You know, this is the first time I can tell you I went to camp changing three sets of clothes a day. I never put a a shirt back in my suitcase that didn't have tears on it. Because people were being honest with themselves. And people were facing what they were holding back from God. That's what this is talking about. Which is why James 1 even when we go through these tough times, even when we're experiencing this grief that's led to us by a righteous God that loves us despite our sin and our weakness, we can still be at peace and have joy because God is our joy. The promises of God is our joy, right? The hope of eternal life in heaven is my joy. There is nothing in this world that can take that away from me. Here's the craziest part of the the whole situation. Once you really get your mind around the gospel, right? Once you really start taking all these scriptures, and trust me, we went through a week. I could do a big, giant series if you really want me to one day on it. But I think a lot of us, when we think of Jesus on the cross, right? We think of Jesus on the cross and he's dying for me for that moment, for that person I've become when I finally deserve heaven. You can't. I don't care how good you are. You become an elder of the church. You still don't deserve heaven. You preached since you were 12. You still don't deserve heaven. You can't. 
So God, Jesus, when he's dying on the cross for your sin, he's not thinking about you at your best. He's thinking about you at your absolute worst, that worst thing you've ever become in your life. That's what Christ went to the cross to die for you for. That's how much he loves you. Look, those of us who are parents, we totally get this, don't we? Your kids do stuff that tick you off all the time. Drive you nuts. They're going to do things at times where they might even walk away. Want no relationship. They're going to do things sometimes you can't follow. You can't go with them to do it. You're not going to do it. You never stop loving them, though. Probably still do anything for them if they turn around and ask you for anything probably get off that porch and run to meet them even though they just squandered your wealth living a life of sin and have come back trying to become a slave I was the prodigal son in five seconds for anybody who didn't follow alright I promise I really am almost done When endurance has taken full effect, when endurance has taken full effect, now listen, when endurance has taken full effect, we will be made perfect. When has endurance taken full effect? When we fought the good fight, when we finished the race. Man, it's time to be gracious to ourselves. Not gracious in a way that says it's okay to sin. Gracious in a way that says, yeah, I sin. Now get back up and get back on the path. Put that foot in front of another and don't stay in the place that I'm at. Because the second you start heading back, God's already forgiven you, it's already done. It was done a long time ago. As we've discussed from a deeper level, right? God doesn't operate in time. God has forgiven all of your sin for your whole life. Today, I can tell you right now, God has forgiven all of your sin for your whole life. The day that you're on your deathbed and you're thinking about all of your sin in your whole life, the stuff you don't even know you're going to do right now in your life, God has already forgiven that. He did 2,000 years ago in our time. We just have to be honest with ourselves. Why do you think the scriptures say so many times about having a soft heart? Right? Having an honest mind, the mind of Christ. That's what's going to get you there. And those of us who have been doing this long enough, we know. Man, it used to be a lot tougher, didn't it? I pray you've seen some growth. I know I have. It used to be a lot tougher. Those nights of crying in my pillow and feeling the burn of, of my anger against myself, those are a lot fewer and far between these days. You just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Don't give up on yourself. God's not going to give up on you. And we got to trust the plan. When endurance has taken full effect, we will be made perfect. When we have fought the good fight, when we have finished the race, then we will be perfect. With man, this is impossible. And I'm telling you right now, anybody who's ever told you it is possibly perfect in this world, they are calling Jesus a liar. Because if we could ever have attained perfection in this world, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. With God, all things are possible. You know why? Because... You're not going to be the one that brings your life's work to completion. Now I'm going to say this to us. 
And I want to be really clear. I say this in a loving way. Because some people don't like when I say in the church of Christ. They feel like I'm picking on our brotherhood. I'm part of this. In the church of Christ, we've made too much about what we have to do to get to God. Most of what you do to get to God, God actually provided for you, right? All good things come from God. The people in your life that talked to you at the right time to help you receive the wisdom you needed to overcome, did that come from you? The thoughts in your head that help you overcome, does that come from you or is that the word of God playing in your brain? I'm not saying there's nothing you have to do. There's a whole lot you have to do. That's what the whole sermon's been about. But when you give up on yourself, when you think there's something you can't overcome, when you get to that point where you're starting to lose hope, you remember this verse right here. And you remind yourself that even though I don't feel like I'm going anywhere, I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of the other, and I'm going to keep going towards God because God is going to finish the work. That is his promise to me. And that's his promise to you. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you made him the Lord of your life? Have you surrendered to the will of God? Are you keeping your heart soft and your mind honest? Are you allowing yourself to grieve your sin or are you becoming comfortable with yourself in sin? And are you trusting God to finish his work? Man, that's it. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? For those of us who have, let me be real honest and say, it's not just our job to get us to heaven. It's all of our job to get us to heaven. It's not just Matt Robinson's job to help the youth find Christ. Right? Right? and know how to walk in Christ. It's all of our job. I'm telling you, when we come together, y'all, <laughs> Satan shakes in his boots and he runs away, which is why he spends so much time trying to find ways to split us apart. I pray we all make that commitment today to make Jesus our Savior, and our Lord, and to be united in, with one another in getting each other to heaven and stop allowing these dumb things that divide us to get in the way of what God is doing here. If there is any need to respond to the invitation, you can come together as we stand and sing.
Thank you, Matt. Thank you for that very thought-provoking message. Appreciate each of you being here this morning, whether you joined us here in the building or through the internet. We appreciate your attendance. Have a few announcements and reminders before we close. Uh, we'll be participating in our back-to-school backpack outreach very soon. We'll begin by offering backpacks with school supplies to those in our church family. If you need one or you know someone who does, please see Sue Coleman. She can help you out with that. Wanda Warren, Warren asked me to uh, tell you that she'll be moving and she's got to do some disposing of some things. She has a ceiling fan that's like new. If you have use for that, she would be happy to give it to you. She also has a three-year-old American Bulldog that needs a new home. If you're interested in either of those, I have a phone number for you. I have an update on some of our sick. LaTanya Harp asked for prayers for her father in Mississippi. He has very serious cancer and congestive heart failure. Please pray for him. Carol O'Neill is recovering from a lumpectomy this week. Uh, please continue to pray for her recovery. Pat and Judy Rust were traveling out west to see their son. They stopped and were walking around and uh, Pat tripped and fell into Judy. Both of them fell down. Pat's okay, but Judy broke several bones in her wrist and uh, it was manually reset and she's asking for prayers that they stay in the place they should be as she heals so she can avoid surgery. Mitzi Robinson has finished her radiation treatments. The next phase of her recovery is reconstructive surgery. Sue Coleman will be having surgery on her neck at the end of this month on July 30th. And as William mentioned in his prayer, he had a uh, procedure this week and he has also received some recovery or some improvement. So please continue to pray for him and all those on our sick list. Thank you. Would you stand for our closing hymn if it's convenient, please, and remain standing for our closing prayer.
pray that uh, <clears throat> we just we're, we're there for each other our brothers and sisters and that we understand that this walk isn't this walk isn't a walk we walk alone sometimes we trip and we fall and we need each other to pick each other back up and keep us moving I pray that as we're gathered together, you're there with us, as you always are. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.